0: Probably not just me, but it's a little toasty in here. I was telling Dave, I said, uh, <clears throat> it's mid-June, and we're just now thinking about turning the A.C. on. Uh, anyway, we're glad that you're here. We're glad to be here together. And uh, uh, what a wonderful, wonderful wedding yesterday. Ruben and Aaliyah Peck. If you're not sure who I'm talking about, uh, and if you've been here for uh, some time at all, you notice every once in a while we'll have this uh, tall blonde gal up here singing, uh, part of the worship group, and playing her violin. Once in a while will have this really uh, energetic uh, young fella, young man, I shouldn't say wise, well, young compared to me, which is a growing trend. But... Um, but uh, he comes and plays the drums. In fact, this set of drums is his, actually, and uh, he's left them here. Not, uh, they've been here for a long time, but um, just because they didn't have the space for him. But uh, Reuben will come often and play the drums for us, and, uh, and so we really have appreciated them. And we've had them. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to share yesterday, but didn't share. We have kind of somewhat of a, a halfway house out here at the farm where we live, where we have this, these... Uh, variety of young people that just kind of keep showing up now they used to be young young kids that needed a ride now they're got driver's license now they're not just so they drive themselves but now they're getting married and they're showing up as couples and uh, they're hanging out they're picking our brains on what does it mean to be married uh, how does that work out what does it mean to lead your home what does it mean to you know follow your husband and they've been one of those young couples that's kind of picked our brains over the last um, oh, close to a year, I think. And But we really appreciate it. And they had just a wonderful wedding. Um, what a picture of God's uh, awesomeness, His grace and His mercy, His uh, folding into His greater plan as this next young couple uh, steps in to follow Him and uh, what the Word says, follow Him in His ways, follow Him uh, and let their marriage reflect His goodness in their lives. So just an awesome... Awesome day yesterday. Happy Father's Day. I don't want to be remiss in saying that to you dads. Happy Father's Day. Um, There was a bit of a contest before church got started this morning that who could rush up to Jonathan and tell him Happy Father's Day the quickest. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, uh, Jonathan and Michaela are uh, expecting their very first. uh, Our first grandchild is uh, uh, resting in the womb behind the soundboard. And so, uh, Kayla knew sooner or later I'd say something would be embarrassing. It's not embarrassing, it's factually correct. I'm glad to state that as a fact. Also, it's a little bit of fatherly embarrassment. A little bit of payback for the surprise birthday party that I went to last weekend that I thought was a surprise for Josh. Where's Josh at? Where did he go? He's here somewhere. I was told, I was deceived. Can I just put it this way? That y'all deceived me? If you were in on the deception, that I was under the understanding I was going to a surprise birthday party, but not for me. For Josh, who is having a birthday coming up. So it was like a little white lies. Anyway, I appreciate all that. I'm done with my part of the announcements. We could really close in prayer and get out of here. No, we've been looking through, uh, we've, we're on week three of a new series through 1 Corinthians. It's um, Paul's corrective letter, uh, my terms, kind of my synopsis. It's his corrective letter uh, that he wrote to this upstart church in the city of Corinth there. And, um, and it sits, like I mentioned, earlier, it sits on a little isthmus of ground, uh, you know, in modern day Greece. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> a church that had a lot going for him. Um, as we'll get into in coming weeks and months, we'll see how you know, their spiritual gifts were just phenomenal in uh, the kingdom of God. And God had richly blessed them in that way. But they had definitely, there was a, definitely a lot of chaos in that church, too, in a lot of practical ways. And the Apostle Paul starts right off in chapter 1 where he addresses... Uh, the issues of division in the church. And the first issue that we talked about for the last couple of weeks was this. It's that uh, there was a lot of leadership preference. There was division over leadership preference. Who, who, who's the best speaker? Who's the best encourager? Who, who baptized you? Who didn't baptize you? you know, and, and who's your favorite? And uh, we recognize the fact that we all, to a certain degree, have preference. But when preferences begin to divide us, in the body Uh, the Apostle Paul says clearly chapter One of First Corinthians uh, is Christ divided like is that the pattern that Jesus has for the church is that we just run around and grab our favorite dude you know our favorite leader and uh, and elevate him beyond uh, where God had had intended for him to serve and and beyond the capacity and beyond the giftedness that God had, had given him is that where things are not really but in the midst of this correction on leadership preference, last week we saw where the second half of chapter 1, Paul shifts the topic into this kind of really elongated teaching on wisdom. Now, he folds in the idea of wisdom inside of, of these divisions, because he's really trying to encourage the Corinthian believers, hey, 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 you're, you're divided because you're not resting on God's wisdom. You're resting you're not resting on God's word. You're not you're not utilizing the wisdom that God has given to his believers. You're thinking carnally. And we'll see at the end of the chapter two here. Paul switches that from not from thinking carnally, but we need to think spiritually. That's really the idea of the play out of wisdom. The current struggle there in that Greco-Roman first century was twofold. You had really two groups of people. You have the Jewish believers, the Jewish converts to Christianity who were really looking for a a powerful sign of the Messiah. That's what they were taught for 1,500 years. Hey, here's some signs. Here's some prophetic words from the old-timers, the old prophets and the old Here, Here's what you got to look for. Keep your eyes open. And so they're always looking for that prophetic sign. They're looking for that prophetic sign. And he says that in chapter 1. He says, the Jews look for a sign. And the Greeks, though, they weren't looking for a sign. They were trying to figure out who's the smartest. Who's got the most wisdom? Who's the most articulate? Who's the best debater? Who sounds the most intelligent? They're looking for that great wisdom. Not that God has to offer, but really that man had to offer. The concerns are this. How are these affecting the believers there in Corinth? These brand-new believers this upstart church, how are these influences there in the culture there in Corinth, how are they affecting these new believers? How is it affecting their walk? How is it affecting their, their thoughts, their, their actions? How is it affecting their Christianity? Uh, the second thing he kind of brings up is, what's God's thoughts on the matter? What does God have to say about this? And what message we see, really, where the Apostle Paul bends into his explanation of, of what was going on is what message did Paul preach in the streets and the synagogues of Corinth? Like, what was, he, what was he there to do? He clearly self-identifies what his mission was, what his message was there in Corinth. We saw that all in chapter 1. And then he folds up into this idea. He folds up into God's master plan, into God's master plan. Today we're going to look and see where this master plan is headed for the first century church and how then it has been poured out and poured out uh, clear to today and clearly for us now, almost two centuries later. Let's dive into, look and see what that is. And the fact there's a little word that we're going to be looking at a lot today, and that's this idea of a mystery. Uh, but Paul clearly explains it's been a mystery, but it's not a mystery anymore. Open your Bibles, flip open your smartphones, your iPads check it out on the screen let's dive right in 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 before we go I'll pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for your blessing of your word your instruction in your word we thank you for the the leading and the guiding the teaching of your holy spirit that you've poured out on us we're so grateful we're so grateful lord that uh, your word is is simple It's simple. It's easy to share. We thank you, Father, that uh, you've given us a variety of gifts in the body to accomplish your uh, will and your plan as you live through us, through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. So speak to us through your word this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Say go. Oh boy, I knew this hot air in this room was going to bite us sooner or later, and here it is. Ready to go? Here we go. Say go. All right, now everybody's awake. Good. I guess I don't need the firecrackers that I brought. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse 2 says this, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In this corrective letter, he states again what, the, what Paul's gospel intentions are. So we're kind, of, we're kind of looking at the questions that I laid out just a second ago, kind of almost in reverse order. But his clear intentions are this. His clear intentions were to bring the gospel. His clear intentions were to, to share who Christ was and what he's done and to talk about the crucifixion, to talk about the death, to talk about the resurrection. And the, and the thing is, it, like I mentioned last week, it, it was in that day, that type of message was shameful. was shameful. Nobody wanted to be noted for being a, a follower of somebody that was hung on a tree. That message was shameful. And in God's master plan, He uses that message that's culturally shameful to get His point across To the people that he's reaching, the people that he's reaching out to, and Paul expresses this clear desire to let the message of Jesus really speak for itself. He contrasts his ministry style to that of the Corinthian culture, where he says, in essence, a few summaries here. Paul's style is 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 Jesus only preaching as opposed to this excellence of speech that was known there at that time. Paul's style is, is the events of the crucifixion, the events of the end of Jesus' life, as opposed to worldly wisdom. Paul's style was to come in weakness and fear and trembling. Uh, this guy was not... There, there, if, we, if you know your history of the Apostle Paul at all, if you look at the book of Acts, this guy was... a. I mentioned the first week one, two weeks ago. This guy, he was an enforcer for Judaism. He was the guy that brought the hammer down on Christians before he was converted. So he knows all about bringing strength to a situation. He knows all about bringing power, and he knows all about bringing authority, because he went to the synagogues, he went to the high priest and said, hey, choose me, choose me. I'll go take these guys out. I'll go eliminate this sect. I'll go eliminate these heretics that, that are following this guy Jesus, who's already dead. We'll just stamp them out. We'll just get rid of them." He knew all about coming in strength. All about it. But he identifies completely the opposite here in 1 Corinthians. He's saying, hey, I, I didn't come that way. I didn't come that way. He could have came that way. He came in weakness, fear, and trembling. As opposed to the Corinthian style, which is persuasive words of human wisdom, looking impressive, playing the part, appealing to those in the city, uh, by way of of how well you can speak, how strong, how much strength you can demonstrate publicly, how much wisdom you can demonstrate publicly, we see it all the time. I mean literally all you have to do is turn on the news you 're going to see people that demonstrate that all the time you don 't see a lot of humility you don't see it, you don 't see a lot of uh, weakness, fear, and trembling being presented as a uh, a message delivery system in our culture? Not at all. But you do see a lot of persuasive words of human wisdom. The last style that Paul demonstrates is really the opposite of what he The reason he came in weakness, fear, and trembling was because of this point. Because he wanted the Holy Spirit and the power of God to be clearly demonstrated. And so if he's trying to demonstrate that in his own flesh, in his own way in his own intellect, it won't happen. It won't happen. No, his style was to then just let God bring the power and the glory, as opposed to the style of the day, which is really what he states here is faith in the wisdom of men. See, most people struggle to share Jesus, uh, and they're usually fixated on the wrong style. Usually fixated on the wrong style. Oftentimes that's coupled with the wrong message. What you if you want to share Christ, share your testimony. Share your testimony. And here's the reason I say that. It's because your testimony has about has to do with you being uh, brought down and Christ being elevated. That's the essence of our testimony. I got the end of myself. I had nowhere to go. All those types of things. I was struggling with this. I was struggling with that. I had this addiction problem. I had this private issue. I had this struggle in my marriage, in my home, in my family, with my kids. I got to the end of it all. And when you get to the end of it all is when you are weak and God can be strong in our lives, right? Am I right? So that's why you come in weakness and fear. This man, when he's weak... God is super powerful. And it's not a formula. It's a reality of how God works in our lives as we talk about Him. See, the problem is, is that we're all tempted. We're all tempted in this one particular area. And it's what hinders us from speaking about our faith. It's what hinders us, as I shared uh, quite a, well, last year, about... Uh, Becoming teachers, the Hebrew says, by now many of you should become teachers. But you're not. You're still on the milk. You're not on the meat. What hinders us is a fear of sounding dumb. That's what hinders us. We get psyched out about how bad we're going to do before we even do or say anything. Have you ever struggled with that, Rich? you ever worried about sounding stupid? I'm worried about it for me right now. It's a high probability with me. As I shared last week, I'm a C-plus guy, right? So your odds... When it comes to human wisdom, this could really go sideways, Dennis. reality is, though, the reality is we worry about sounding dumb, struggling to communicate something that We'd catch the attention of the unbeliever. Oftentimes we're worried about coming across with the wrong style, the wrong approach, or with the right approach, but it ends up being the wrong approach. We all have the tendency to want to be known as somebody that's well-spoken, and I think that we should be. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be. We all have the tendency to want to be known as somebody that's well-educated, and we should be. We should be. I'm not downplaying education at all. Intellect at all. In fact, congratulations to Tiffany, just got her master's. It's a good insertion, a time to give her a round of applause, <laughs> working hard. Right? We all have a tendency to want to be known as that somebody that's persuasive, somebody that's influential. And the purpose of those things is not wrong or evil. Let's make sure we clearly understand that. The purpose of that, uh, the the pursuit, rather, not the purpose, but the pursuit of those things is not wrong or evil. But if we try to use, here's the point, if you don't get nothing else from today, check this out. If we try to use human means to reach a godly end, we miss the power of Christ being revealed in the simplicity of the gospel. Oh, I'll read that one more time. If we try to use human means to reach a godly end, we will miss the power of Christ being revealed in the simplicity of the gospel. There's an old principle that's out there. We often don't talk about it, but it's true. What you draw them with is what you draw them to. What you draw them with, if, if, if it's a dog and pony show and everybody's attracted to that, if it's, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, the spinning thing up on the ceiling? Somebody help me out. A disco, I, I knew that I would appeal to somebody that was a young adult in the 70s, and it worked. Uh, if you appeal to people with the disco ball, the flash grenades, the, uh, the, the, the fake smoke as part of a service, like if that's what it's about, it's a, if, it's, if the appeal for people to, to think about God or to come to church is all about the electric guitar, the big riffs, you know, uh, an hour and a half worship service, which I don't think is a bad thing. But uh, If that's the appeal, what you draw them with is what you draw them to. Um, it's tried and true, and the Apostle Paul really is saying, hey, he didn't want to draw them to a bunch of extra stuff. He didn't want to... Do, it's important that he know knew. It's important that we know what's going on in our culture, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. It's good that we're aware of and have a a pretty good handle on those things. But if we try to reach people through uh, human effort, human means, and human ways of ministry, rather than bringing the straight-up gospel, uh, we're going to draw them to the wrong thing. Let's move on. Verse 6. However, Paul says, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Underline that in your Bible if you would. Circle it, highlight it. Uh, We're going to come back to that word uh, a fair amount today. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's a whole mouthful. There's like whole sermon series that are wrapped around these three verses. Let's start off, just grab a few highlights. However, we speak wisdom. Just because Paul would not cater to the Corinthian love of human wisdom does not mean that his message had no wisdom. Do we get that? He he was not going to cater to their way of communicating, their way of bringing notoriety into the public arena. But that does not mean that it did not have wisdom. In fact, there's a vast wealth of wisdom sealed off uh, to everyone except for the believers, except for Christians. Do we understand that? We have access to the wisdom of the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, as Christ followers. And then he talks about those that are mature. Who are the mature that Paul could speak this wisdom to? Uh, some think that the, the line is drawn between the saved and the unsaved. Others think that it's between the mature and the immature believers. Um, Paul uses the word mature here for mature believers in passages like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, Philippians 3, 15, you can look those up. Uh, if I'm speaking, if I'm going too fast, um, I guess I'll give them to you one more time. And if you don't catch them, you can catch me afterwards. But he uses the same word as mature in Ephesians four thirteen, First Corinthians fourteen twenty, and Philippians chapter three verse fifteen. An immature person, such as a baby, doesn't have the discernment to know what's good to eat or what isn't. Uh, in other words, <clears throat> a baby will put anything in its mouth, rocks, pebbles. Legos, you know, whatever, whatever's at hand, they're going to ingest. They're going to take in. It's important that we make that distinction. It's often, uh, it's another thing that's important to think about here is that we often uh, struggle to understand where our maturity in the Lord is one of the best demonstrations of that discernment was years ago I was greeting, a, we were going to a different fellowship at the time, but was greeting at the front door and right inside the front door was the stairs that went downstairs and then you could step up into the sanctuary and uh, a couple that had, that had grown up in this area and had three small kids they'd moved away, they'd, they'd moved back into our community up there in Summit and uh, <clears throat> They decide, hey, you know, and, and uh, her folks had gone to church there, and so anyway, they thought, man, we really, we really need to get back into uh, get these kids in church. Of course, a lot of people use that term. The reality is, is that they needed to go to church just as much as anybody else did. They needed to learn about God. And as they come in, we're greeting them, and I, I knew both of them, um, and uh, happened to mention to them, you know, back then it was Sunday school, uh, and then the regular church service. And so I said, hey, the uh, little kid's Sunday school is downstairs. And the dad turned to me, and he's kind of ushering his kids down to, the, to, to go downstairs. And he turned to me and he says, I should probably go down there. Meaning he was very cognizant of how little he knew about God, how little he understood what the Bible had to say. And I always think back to that as probably one of the most... Uh, clear understandings of where a man stood and an honest admission of where he was spiritually. He says, I I think I probably should just go downstairs with the kids. You know, most of us, we would just play the part, oh, go ahead, and we'd go up there and, you know, sit in an adult Sunday school class. I think about that often. Among those who are mature... Paul is speaking to a group of mature believers, which none of the rulers of this age knew. Another little passage, a piece in that passage. Uh, Why did the rulers of this age fail to recognize God's wisdom was a question that hit my mind. See, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't understand what his purpose was. They had every resource available Every resource available. There was, this, there was this unholy alliance between the Jewish leadership and the Roman government in that first century, uh, and, and they played off of one another. They tried to manipulate one another. The Roman leadership had every available Jewish scholar at the snap of a finger. So they could have came in and said, well, what about this guy? Like, what's, and, they, and they had at times. They had every available opportunity, but they didn't recognize who Jesus was. And here's the reason. It came in a mystery, a sacred secret that could only be known by revelation. It's only known, if you think about all through the Gospels, as Jesus was ministering to people, it's really clear like those who get it and those that don't. Those that get it They see and they hear and they experience the revelation of God right in front of them of who the Messiah is. And it totally changes them. Sometimes that's physically, right? It's, you know, four decades of not being able to walk, all of a sudden we're up on our feet, we're having a good time, we're running around. So sometimes it's physically, sometimes it's visually. Healed the blind, healed the deaf. So sometimes it's really, but it's the revelation of who God is. I think that that's a part of what you see in the the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, that Nicodemus was wrestling with because he's he's having this kind of like moment of transparency with this guy in the late hours in John chapter 3, and he's like, "I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. And I think Nicodemus was one of those that had this revelation from God. Like, this is the guy. Because he shows up at the end of the story. Right? Paul spoke often about of the gospel as a mystery. Often about the gospel and the mystery. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul proclaims the mystery is the hidden wisdom of God. That's what we see there in the text that we're in. What is the mystery that Paul mentions then several times in a variety of epistles? If you want some context for where this is all going, we're going to see it in Romans. We're going to see it in 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Timothy. To answer the question, we first have to get a glimpse of what Jesus taught his disciples in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 11, where he said this He said this to his followers in a private moment, in a moment where they'd drawn aside, he had been teaching in parables, and they just, people weren't getting it. Some people were, some people weren't. And in Mark four eleven, Jesus says to the 12, he says, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are, on, <clears throat> who are outside, all things are gonna come in parables. It's kind of like they're gonna have to figure it out. But to you, I'm going to hand over what it means to understand this mystery. That proclamation had to have blown their minds. I'm sure they had more questions than answers after that statement. The group of 12 ordinary men that would be the conduit that God would use to share his plan, his strategy, his secret, is all wrapped up in this idea of the mystery. Now, when we hear mystery, what do we think of? We think of these, these television shows that it seems like you've got to watch 20 of them to finally figure out where this thing's going. We think of Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys books. You know, we think of all these things that are kind of like, where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? Where's it going to go? And, and we think of mystery in that sense, and I don't think that that's a wrong way. Maybe the wrong material, but I don't think it's a wrong way to really grasp this. Go to. E- Ephesians chapter 3 is probably the greatest chapter in the Bible that explains the mystery. I'll read just a few verses. It's really great to read the whole chapter. For the sake of time, I don't think I will. Paul says to the Ephesians church, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, back to this idea of mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it's been revealed by the Spirit, to his holy apostles and prophets. So Paul's saying, hey, we have a message that is so unique. This is God's message, so completely unique. Just a one-off. Nothing else like it. And it's been hidden. It's been hidden through the ages. It's been hidden from all those that have gone before. Now revealed through the Spirit to the apostles and the prophets. So the Prophets really had a look at it in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, in that day and age, throughout the pages of the Old Testament, most of the prophets, uh, essentially, they got whacked, right? They spoke a harsh word. They spoke, sometimes it confused the people, but they were the ones that really confronted the people about their sin, they confronted the people about their idolatry. They perf- they confronted the people. The word, All through the pages of the Bible, it uses the word adultery, which is uh, uh, the failure in a marriage. But it's also he. the prophets used that word, adultery. I heard a great sermon, by the way, that basically said this. We have to teach what adultery means in the church. If you don't want your kids to know what adultery means, don't read them the Bible, this guy said. Because it's cover to cover in there. It shouldn't be something we should... Uh, make light of, it's actually a very serious situation. But the relationship that Israel had with God, they failed and used the picture of adultery in that sense because they keep walking away from God, they keep embracing other gods, the idolatry, all that went with it. Prophets were really the ones that kept confronting that, the good ones anyway. There were a few false prophets along the way. But the good prophets in the Old Testament really kept confronting that. For that, they sacrificed their lives try tried to help keep the nation of Israel going in the right direction. And here Paul says in chapter 3 of Ephesians that, that these things have been revealed to the apostles and the prophets. This mystery was revealed to them. And here's the reason why. This is the mystery summed up in a sentence. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I become a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power the idea is this the mystery is is that god's going to bring all those that would trust in him regardless of your race regardless of your ethnicity regardless of whatever culture you grew up in around the globe regardless of your you know past world view regardless of your gender, male or female, God's going to bring everybody together. That was the mystery. That's His plan. And Paul boils down in chapter 2 to this idea that this is what the mystery is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Nobody knew that. Nobody was willing to hear or understand that back in that day. The Jews kept their different, you know, they kept their space, They do don't, don't, not don't too close, unclean, 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 stay away, we have a special thing going with God, right? The Greeks, the Romans, the, the rest of the world was just like, ah, give me it all, you know, I just want to absorb all that the world has to offer, every you know, available thing and pleasure, and they just kind of took it all in, and then the real smart ones really got up on a pedestal and said, well, let's talk about wisdom. You know, and and who's the smartest? God says, hogwash with all that. I've opened up the mystery. The Apostle Paul says that this is the reason why he was called, the reason why he had the gift of grace. The grace of God was given to him by the working of his power, the same power that he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The mystery. The doors opened up for everybody. Colossians also talks about this idea of a mystery. Chapter 1, verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Verse 25 says, Of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you. He always talks in that type of language. Whatever the Apostle Paul received from God was not for him to go sit under a tree somewhere, drink a pina colada, and just relax, right? Whatever was given to him was given to him for everybody else. It's a great pattern for our lives. It's a pattern that you guys demonstrate now for all these years that we've known you. Whatever God's given you, you keep pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. It's really a principle for all of us that we should embrace of which I become a minister according to the stewardship of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. So at first it was revealed to the apostles and the prophets. Now it's revealed to the saints, all those that call themselves a believer, all those who put their faith and trust in Christ, We have this revelation of the mystery. Verse 27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this ministry among the Gentiles, which is this. One of the best lines in the whole of the Bible says this. This mystery that we should be known, make known to those around us, is this. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says. It's Christ in you. God's saying, hey, I'm putting myself to live in you, to live through you, to demonstrate who I am. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man, verse 28 says, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. So again, to the church in Colossus, Paul's not afraid of wisdom, he's not uh, avoiding wisdom he's actually coming in with godly wisdom we've warned every man and teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus to this end i also labor striving according to his working which works in me mightily great passage again a short one here from first timothy chapter 3 after laying out the qualifications in church leadership the Apostle Paul writes these as kind of a, a bit of a summary. He says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, a desire to, to meet up with Timothy again. But if I'm delayed, verse 15 says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. In other words, there's order in church, Paul's saying. And he's saying, Timothy, here, here's, how, here's how it's laid out. Here's how we examine and, and, and uh, discern church leadership, here's the qualifications, and he goes, listen, I'm not going to go through them, you can go through them yourself, but he lays those all out, it's a sermon for another time, and here's, and the reason is, is because so then we ought to know how to conduct ourselves when we come together, <clears throat> as we come into the house of God, he says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that you could blend all these people together and have, still have order? Who would have thought that you could bring all of this diversity together, different races, different cultures, different, different uh, backgrounds, different ways of being raised? Who would have thought you could bring it all? You guys struggle with this in Mexico? All these different things, all these different people, thoughts, ideas, understandings. Who would have thought you could bring them all together? It's, seems like it's a bit of a mystery. And Paul keeps driving at this idea of the mystery, that we could bring all these things, that God brings all these things together and brings unity, which is really the opposite of his initial correction, which is division, chapter 1. And First Timothy goes on to say this, A first century hymn that was often quoted. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, and believed on in the world and received up to glory. Romans chapter 11 is another one. I'm speaking really fast because I got a ways to go. So I'll hustle. And I know it's hot. And my fans now pointed at the ceiling. Romans chapter 11 is another great one, where Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, of this mystery. So he wants people to know. He wants people to understand. He wants the Roman believers to know what God's plan is, and he doesn't want them to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness, <clears throat> that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, <clears throat> has come in. Excuse me. What was it that God does not want us to be ignorant of? It's a question that rises up. He doesn't want to be us to be ignorant of the fact that if God will set aside, if He, if He will, <clears throat> as it were, uh, set Israel aside for a time, not that they're eliminated. But they're, they're affected. Their rejection of the Messiah has opened the door. God planned on this all along. Their rejection of the Messiah has opened the door to the Gentiles. That's you and I. Uh, unless you are like straight line Jewish descendant, which I don't know if any of us are or aren't. But that's you and I. And he doesn't want us to be ignorant of it. And the reason why he doesn't want us to be ignorant is because when we become ignorant of that, when we become haughty with that, we become wise in our own opinion, he says. Right back to the same issues that they were having in Corinth. This mystery was kept hidden, but it was always part of God's plan. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that's a long detour. I think the older I get, the better I get at having a few detours. I learned that strictly from David. I can blame him for that. Although I will tell you in our elder meetings these older fellows are always blaming me for this. They have this little phrase that they they always needle with me with a little bit because every once in a while I'll say, "Well, that reminds me of a story." And it's usually the older guys that are telling all the stories. I can't I haven't figured out how to get out of that Rubik's cube yet, but all right, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul paraphrases Isaiah 64, 4, where he says, verse 9 in 1 Corinthians 2, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Paul pivots on this quote out of Isaiah, this <clears throat> paraphrase out of the book of Isaiah, to reveal the conduit of godly wisdom. So here's how it comes. Here's how it came to them. Here's how it comes for us he says in verse 10 but god has revealed them to us through his spirit god has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of god for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him even so no one knows the things of god except for the spirit <clears throat> of god now we have received <clears throat> now we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The conduit that God uses to reveal His Word, uh, to reveal uh, His way is His Word, and it's through the Holy Spirit. No one knows the things of God except for the Spirit of God. Paul's arguing here, from a, actually from a Greek philosophic premise, that like is known only by like. This, there's a principle there in that day. Like is known only by like. And you can guess, uh, y- you know, you might be able to guess what your dog is thinking. If he's scratching at the door, what's he gonna, what, what does he want? He wants somebody to open the door. Now, if he's a really smart dog, he'll figure out how to do it by himself. But, you know, you get an idea, maybe a clue, uh, from time to time what, what our pets are thinking. Uh, It's a bit of a guess, really. You really don't know unless uh, he was to tell you. If your dog starts talking to you in English, um, boy, I don't know. What do you do, Morgan? (laughs) Call the cops. Don't call the vet. Call the cops. (laughs) I'm getting off my notes. You really can't know unless uh, he was to tell you. Even so, we could guess at what God is thinking. This is what Paul's getting at. We can kind of guess at what God is thinking. Uh, and We can guess about his wisdom. But we would never know unless he actually told us what his plan was. And these things that he tells his believers, yes, the deep things of God the deep things of God, the Apostle Paul calls them. In their love of human wisdom, the Corinthians proudly thought Paul was just dealing in just the basics, quote-unquote, just the basics like the gospel. Paul insists really that his message really gets to the heart of the deep things of God. And Paul uses the connection between man and the spirit, and man and the spirit of a man as a picture of the Holy Spirit knowing God. In other words, the connection is, is, is the, the connection between us and the Spirit that is within each one of us. There's a connection there. That's the, that's the picture. That's the, the image that Paul's talking about here. That's the, the Holy Spirit knowing the plan of God from the beginning of the ages is kind of the connection he's making. and Being God's conduit of wisdom and freely giving those out to those that would trust in Him as the plan. Notice have gone from the Spirit of the world... Thinking worldly, thinking carnally is another. Maybe your passage uses that word already. Those that would think carnally, in other words, fleshly, worldly, at a base level, or with whatever human wisdom can be mustered up. No, God's conduit is through His Holy Spirit. And we transition then, part of our message is to encourage those around us as we witness to them to really transition from living under the spirit of this world, quote-unquote, to having the Holy Spirit residing within them that only comes through trusting in Christ, that only comes through the message of the gospel, which folds back into that's Paul's only word for them, that's why he came. These things we also speak, verse 13 says... These things we also speak not in <clears throat> words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. And here it is, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The idea that Paul is conveying here is it's not a reliance upon men's wisdom or looking for a miraculous sign from the Jewish perspective. But as the Holy Spirit enters a new believer... That they, they become alive differently than they've ever known before because now they have a godly spiritual perspective. Even though, it's, it, even though that's something that, that grows and, and develops within each one of us as we, you think back to your first day as a believer, that first moment, and how much you understood about God's plan. Probably pretty, mine was pretty small. We have a really small understanding, but that grows and develops. But the access is all there. The access is all there, and we start thinking. We start transitioning more and more each and every day. We start transitioning from thinking of things worldly to thinking of things spiritually. For me, it was this. I started to think about the music that I listened to. And I thought, why am, why am I listening to this? Why, why would I want this influence in my life? I started thinking about who I was who I was listening to. Why would would I want those? And you start to discern all of this, even at a, a spiritually infant stage, you st- should start to discern these things. And, and I want to expand this out to, to husbands, fathers, mothers, parents, that this is all a part of our role, our job in raising our kids, is to help them understand and, and to grow in their discernment on a spiritual level. Not on a... I think we have to understand the culture for sure. I think the question really for all Christian parents today is are kids growing culturally faster than they're growing spiritually or are they growing spiritually faster than they're growing culturally? It's a question and it's a situation that we had to come to grips with. And it's a challenge. I get it. I'm getting way off my notes. But we make this transition as Christ followers to thinking, From a worldly perspective to a spiritual perspective. Verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Uh, Yeah, that was my case. When my friend showed up the next day and saw a pile of burnt ashes in my yard that was $2,000 worth of worldly music that I sat there the night before and started throwing them into the bonfire. My buddy showed uh, up. He walked in the house and came back out and saw this. He's like, what happened to your CDs? I said, they're out in the yard. It dawned on him, that's what that black ash was. That's what that pile of burnt plastic was. He said, why, why, why would you do that? In other words, his question is, is or statement in the question was, is, uh, that's really foolish. Why did you do that? Why didn't you give them to me? Well, I didn't want you to have them either. they're foolishness to him the natural man nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned spiritually discerned are we about spiritually discerning growing in our spiritual discernment are we about sharing that with other people explaining the word to them are we about growing up the disciples to take over ministry so that they have the spiritual discernment that's needed? Are we about growing up our kids so that they have spiritual discernment, so they know how to say no to sin, yes to righteousness, yes to right living before God? That's what Paul's talking about. It's it's not about the worldly wisdom. It's about spiritual discernment. There can be all kinds of evil in worldly wisdom. But heavenly spiritual discernment is good and it's right. And it leads to peace. And inside of our greater topic here of division, it leads to unity. Verse 15 is a barrel down to the closure here. And Jonathan and Barry and Bill and you guys can, Tiffany can come on and I'll just close with these last few words out of the chapter. Verse 15 says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And Paul says this last statement, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. When we see through, our, through a biblical godly lens, the lens of the Holy Spirit, what can we, <clears throat> what can we see uh, that, that becomes filtered differently than the way we used to think it? What's filtered differently than what, than what used to be accepted? What stays on the outside, the, 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 the role of a filter is to keep the junk on the outside and let the good fluid, whatever it is, if it's an engine, if it's a motor, a filter for an engine on one of my tractors, is to keep all the garbage out and the good oil flowing through to do its job so that the motor runs well. So what's being filtered differently? Are our thoughts different? Is our speech different? Is it different because we have, as Paul described, as believers in Jesus, uh, we have a different filter? Is it because, as Paul described, we have the mind of Christ? I hope and pray and believe that it is. Because we see through spiritual eyes now because of that mind that's within each believer, the mind of Christ. Exercise it. Use it. Expand on it. Not that, not, that, not, that, not, that, not that we can make Christ bigger in our own minds. I'm not saying that. I'm saying rely on it more. Make it, uh, you, you can make choices. You can make choices to, to make Christ bigger in your life or smaller in your life. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of saying, yes, God, I'm going to surrender to you wherever that takes me, however hard it is whatever difficult thing that that comes down to, I'm going to surrender to you and your ways. You're bigger. I want you bigger in my life. I want your processes, in my mind, bigger and more apparent in full control. I'll put it that way. Not in occasional control. Not as a blend of worldly wisdom. Not as a blend of, of, of uh, uh, a little, just like we say, we don't, a, We want more of Jesus and less of me. Yeah? Amen? Let's go ahead and sing our last song.